0: Do we really continue to grow and change, or are we pretty much done by the time we reach our 20s? What does the rest of our life hold for us, and is it really important that we find out about it? These are just some of the things that we're going to be talking about as we approach development from a lifespan perspective. So I hope that you'll join me on this exciting journey. Welcome to Psychology 241, or Development, or Lifespan Psychology. What we are going to be talking about is just that, human development as it spans across a lifetime. So we're actually going to start with prenatal development and what happens even before we're born, and go all the way through the entire span of a human life to the time period of death and dying. Now, there's some really important growth and changes that occur throughout our lifetime and those are the things that we're going to be emphasizing and looking at as we go across to each different time period. Now life expectancy has really increased and we're currently around a life expectancy of about 79 is the average age. It's going to vary differently for men and women and so we're really looking at a time period of almost 80 years that we're going to be discussing in just a brief uh, time throughout the semester. So we see a lot of rapid changes especially early on and then we'll see some plateaus or some slower changes as we progress throughout the um, semester. Now, some things to keep in mind, lifespan, or when we're talking about development, development is multidirectional. It's not going to just start at one point and be a straight line to the end. There's lots of things that change as we, and lots of, Um, situations that can influence change as we progress through life. It's also multidimensional. So we're going to talk about a lot of different theories, theories that seem overlapping and oftentimes theories that seem conflicting. And that's because development is multidimensional. We're not uh, simple organisms that start in a peach tree dish and grow and become, you know some kind of other simple organism, we continue to change. And a lot of that change is also based on our culture and our experiences. And so these are some of the things that we're going to be talking about, how they can influence change as we move throughout our lifespan. Now, this beginning chapter lays some foundation, addressing some of the key issues in human development. One of the first key issue is nature versus nurture. And for a long time, there was an argument over which had a larger influence in human development, nature, which is your genetics and your biology, or nurture, which is your environment, the environmental influences that we grow up in. And what we found is that it's actually a combination of both of these. There was lots of research that attempted to uh, display that one of these had a stronger power. And what we found is that actually both of them have equal influence on human development. And so we'll talk about the nature aspects as well as the nurture aspects as we go through. So looking at some contextual um, influences or some influences, again, from our culture, there are some things called normative age grade influences. Normative age grade influences are things that normally would happen throughout our life period. We kind of expect these things to happen. And they're similar for individuals in that time period So things like the age at which you normally start school, that's a normative age grade influence. The age at which people normally start puberty, again, it happens for almost everybody about the same time period. Um, Another normative age grade, which is also kind of influenced by our culture is, you know, the age at which you get a driver's license or the age at which you can legally drink. Those are some normative age grade influences. They are going to have an influence on our development because, again, they're going to kind of be that cultural impact that is going to shape our experiences. We can all think back to our first day of school, or we've all seen pictures probably of our first day of school and how that may have influenced some aspect of development in your life. Or... If you didn't go to school, maybe you were homeschooled, maybe you were had a private tutor or any number of other alternatives, it may influence your development in a different way. So we're going to be talking about all of those as we go through. Then there are non-normative age uh, grade or non-normative life events, and these are major impacts that are not normal to everybody. These are things that don't normally occur. So things like if somebody, um, if somebody experiences a house fire, maybe it, you know, when they're young or at any point in time in their life, that's a non-normative life event. It obviously these are easy to. Um, Look at and say well that obviously impacted their life that obviously shaped their life the death of a child That also is a non-normative life event And so again, we can look at that and see oh, that's something that's not normal that had a huge impact in their life And so non-normative life events are oftentimes a little bit easier to identify than the normative age grade influences because they have a larger impact and it's easier to see the influence. But both of these influence our development and um, can influence later development as well. So the first chapter really kind of lays a foundation For how we're going to be studying uh, human development. And really and truly, we're going to be studying it on three major fronts. We're going to study the physical development, so the physical changes that occur throughout our lifetime. Then we're also going to study the cognitive changes that occur throughout a lifetime. And also, we're going to study the socio emotional changes that occur throughout a lifetime. Now, these, although we're going to be studying them in three distinct um, arenas, they also overlap. So, when we talk about physical development, particularly physical development early on in life um, span, we're going to be talking about changes that occur in the brain. Now, these changes that occur in the brain are going to impact uh, the way that we think or our cognitive development. And so, there's going to be a lot of overlap between these physical changes that occur and the cognitive changes that occur. And those cognitive changes are going to influence how we deal with people uh, from a um, socio-emotional standpoint. And so the cognitive changes will also impact the socio-emotional changes. So there's going to be a lot of overlap between these three arenas, even though we're um, dividing them up into three distinct differences. So there are um some other foundational things that are found in Chapter 1, mainly it gives you a good overview of some of the theorists and some of the main theories in human development which you probably have recognized from your general psychology class. There are some of these theorists that we're going to be talking about throughout the semester like Jean Piaget and Eric Erickson and so you don't need to devote a whole lot of time to those. However, I do want you to kind of revisit them as we're going to be talking about Jean Piaget and his cognitive theories throughout the semester, and we'll also be talking about Eric Erickson and his socio-emotional theories throughout the semester. There's also a brief review of Freud and Freud's psychoanalytical theory, um, his psychosexual stages of development, which we will kind of touch on as we go throughout the semester. And then there's also a little bit um, on Vygotsky. Vygotsky was a Russian theorist and his theory of cognitive development that is based on our social interactions. We will um, address this one again as we go throughout the semester. There are also some um, theories on um, behaviorists uh, from the behavioral standpoint from Skinner and Bandura and Watson that we'll also be addressing as we go throughout the semester. But I would like you to pay special attention to a lot of the evolutionary or um, ethological theories mainly the theory of Conrad Lorenz. Conrad Lorenz was actually an evolutionary psychologist and was interested, he was very heavily influenced on biological um, or those innate developments. And so one of the major influences that he had in developmental psychology was the theory of this imprinting, this um, idea that these geese could actually um, have the form an innate connection or form a connection with somebody that was not their mother. Um, And that really kind of influenced early theories on attachment that we'll spend a lot of time discussing as we get into early infancy. And so it really kind of laid the foundation for um, this idea that there is some biological aspects to human development. The other major theory that I would like you to pay close attention to is Yuri Bronfenbrenner's ecological theory of development. Yuri Bronfenbrenner Developed this theory that there's five environmental systems. So whereas Conrad Lorenz discussed a lot of the biological aspects, Yuri Bronfenbrenner was looking at those nurture aspects or our environment and how much of an impact our environment has in our human development. Now it's obviously very easy for us to look at our immediate family and our immediate family structure and see how that impacted our development. How How does the family that you live in impact your development, or how has it impacted your development thus far? Maybe you grew up in a single family home. Maybe you had two parents, but maybe your parents fought all the time. Maybe you had two parents, but one parent traveled all the time. Maybe neither one of your parents were around, and you were raised by a grandparent, or aunts or uncles, or something of that nature. So we can clearly look at the impact that our immediate family has on our human development. And what Eurei burner called that was that is our microsystem. Our microsystem is just that. It is the part of our life that we come in contact with every day on a daily basis. So these would be our family, our school teachers, because we come in contact with them pretty much on a daily basis, and also Um, Maybe our religious organizations or our neighborhood, Um, the people that we grew up in in our neighborhood, siblings, whether or not you had siblings, the relationship that you have with your siblings, those are all a part of your microsystem. But Uri Bronfenbrenner expanded beyond just our microsystem and our immediate family members to look at the impact that the outside world has. So, for example, the exosystem, the exosystem would be things like um, your social welfare system, um, the job that your parents hold, all of those things impact our development. Now, they don't have an immediate impact on our development, meaning that you're not going to work with your parents every day in their job. However, we all know when our parents had a bad day at work. We all know when things aren't going great at our primary caregiver's job or their institution, their work. And how do we know that? We know that because of our parents. Our parents change their um, reactions. They change how they interact with us. And so our parents and those people in our microsystem also become our mesosystem. And our mesosystem is just that, the people that connect us to the outside world. So whatever kind of immediate family situation you had, maybe you were raised by your grandparents and your grandparents had, um, because they were older, maybe they didn't have as much job security or maybe they had already retired from their main job and then had to go back to work. That creates a lot of stress or may create a lot of stress and their job that they're working at, whatever kind of stress that they have in that job, that's going to impact you through them. So their job and their work environment and that kind of outside world is is your exosystem. And your exosystem is going to impact your um, development through that person. And that person is the mesosystem. And so we have the microsystem, which is the innermost circle, and that's our immediate family and how it impacts and our interactions that we come in contact with on a daily basis and how that impacts our development. And then moving outside, we have our mesosystem. Our mesosystem are the people who connect us to the outside world the outside world is the exosystem. And now the exosystem is the first layer of outside world. And this is, the exosystem is really kind of that, um, things that our parents come in contact with, our primary caregivers come in contact with. Uh, It also um, is, you know, the, uh, environment that we grow up in, the systems, the school system that we go to, all of those things are going to have an impact, although we may not be able to see them immediately. And then moving out to the outermost system, the outermost system is the macro system. And the macro system are the the is the ideology and the attitude of our culture. You could also put, you know, things like what kind of uh, government. Um, you know, did you grow up here in the United States, or did you grow up in another country where the ideology and the culture is different? That's obviously going to have an impact on your um, immediate development, or the impact on your development, although you may not be able to see it immediately. We can look at our examples right now um, with that's occurring with the pandemic and how this influences our development or how it may influence future um, development. Of future generations. Our microsystem is that immediate family member. And so this abrupt change in our lifestyle that we've experienced has impacted a lot of that microsystem. The interactions with your schoolmates and your classmates has obviously changed, and that dynamic has changed, and it will influence um, how you develop going forward. your parents or your other primary caregivers may have now started working from home or are working from home. And so that changes your interactions. It also probably increases levels of stress, which will also impact your development. And so that job, which is part of that exosystem that is now being done at home, is going to impact that mesosystem, which is your parents and your primary caregivers, which will impact your development. If your parents or your primary caregivers lost their job. That again is part of that exosystem. And that exosystem in is influenced by the macro system. The macro system being the fact that we are in this pandemic situation. And so maybe a, particularly if your parents had a job that maybe caused them to travel a lot and now they're not able to travel anymore. And so maybe the job, because of this pandemic, that macro system, the pandemic being the macro system, is influencing that exosystem, which is your parents' job, and then obviously causing stress on your parents, which is the mesosystem, which is going to impact your daily development. Um, we also, one last thing with Yuri Broffenburner's ecological theory of development is the chrono system. The chrono system is these large scale events that are going to impact an entire generation. Uh, things like the Great Depression. The Great Depression, if you think about your grandparents or your great grandparents, how do we know that they were raised during the Great Depression? Well, oftentimes, they save everything. Um, My grandmother, who was raised during the Great Depression, she used to wash out Ziploc bags. They were plastic. You throw them away, they're meant to be thrown away. And it wasn't that she was trying to save the Earth. It was because she was raised during a time period where you didn't throw anything away because you didn't know if you were going to have anything. That was a large-scale event that impacted an entire generation. She also didn't trust banks, so she kept a lot of her money at home, oftentimes between her mattress or stashed in the back of her freezer. She literally had cold cash because they did not trust the banks during that time period because the stock market crashed. A lot of banks weren't insured and lost a lot of money. And so even though my grandmother was just a baby when this happened, her parents had instilled that on her because this was such a large scale event. This pandemic is also another example of a chrono system. how it will impact the generation that is currently experiencing that. It will be something that they'll talk about for the rest of their lives. It may be something that Will change or influence their development. Maybe they'll be have more anxiety because of this and be more fearful of um, you know viruses or going out in public or large scale events. And so that is the chrono system and how these large scale events will impact an entire generation or what we would call a cohort. The second part of Chapter 1 focuses on research within lifespan or within human development. And so this should also form as a good review from Psych 150, as I'm sure you addressed research methods in Psych 150. So we're going to really quickly kind of move through the different types of Um, psychology research so that we can address some specific research designs that are utilized in human development since we are looking at lifespan approaches. So there's lots of different ways that we can collect data, obviously through observational research, through surveys and interviews, and surveys and interviews are oftentimes used in human development or in lifespan development because, again, we're trying to collect large amounts of data over a time period. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Another method for collecting data is the use of case studies, and case studies are a specific type of research in which it would be unethical for us to conduct that research in an experimental design, and so we use a case study because it's an in-depth look, typically at a single individual. We'll be talking about several case studies as we go forward. One of the first case studies that we're going to talk about is the case of Genie, which is a pseudonym. Um Jeannie is a uh, woman um, who is still alive and lives in California. She was severely abused and malnourished from the time that she was born up until almost her 13th birthday. And when authorities found her, right before her 13th birthday, she was really the size and shape of an infant. Um, She was severely malnourished. She didn't speak. She didn't walk. And so it would obviously be unethical to see how this abuse and malnourishment impacted individuals because that would require us in an empirical study or in an experimental study to um, actually expose individuals to malnourishment and abuse. And so that's unethical, but we can use the case study of Jeannie because this has happened to gain some insight and some to collect some information. And so we'll talk about her as we go forward. We use a lot of correlational research design. And again, this should be um, just a good refresher from your psych 150 class. With correlational research, you're looking for a relationship between two variables or between two um between two items. And so With correlational research, we can show that there's a relationship, but we cannot show that there's a cause and effect. And we can show the strength of that relationship through something called the correlational coefficient. The correlational coefficient is really just a number that's either positive or negative that shows the strength of the relationship between two variables. Now remember, there is a positive correlation and there's a negative correlation. A positive correlation means that both variables are moving in the same direction. So both variables are increasing or both variables are decreasing. An example of this is correlational research indicates that as temperatures rise outside, that violent crimes also rise in the inner cities. And so we can look at that and see that there's a positive correlation that as one variable the temperature rises, the other variable also increases violent crimes. We can say that the inverse happens, that as temperatures decrease, violent crimes decrease as well. And then there's a negative correlation and a negative correlation means that as one variable increases, the other variable decreases. And so an example of this would be that as individuals would be GPA and attendance in classes. As your GPA increases, we see that students who have higher GPAs, their um, attendance rate, their days that they miss class, decreases. And so we have GPA increasing and the days that are missed decreasing. Another negative correlation would be vaccines and childhood illnesses. The more vaccines children get, the fewer illnesses they tend to, um, encounter. And so that would also be a negative correlation. Now, again, one thing I'd like to point out is that we cannot say that one variable causes the other. We can just say that there's a relationship. So a couple of years ago, I heard on the news, they came out and said that the Super Bowl causes heart attacks. And this actually is based on correlational research that has been conducted since the late 80s. And what they found is that for um, the team that is in the Super Bowl who loses the Super Bowl, there is actually more hospital admissions that night for heart attacks than any other night of the year. Now, this is, again, correlational research, so we found that there's a relationship between the losing team and hospital admissions for heart attacks that night in that hometown. However, we cannot say that the Super Bowl causes the heart attacks, there's any number of reasons that there may be more hospital admissions that night. So we can just show that there's a negative relationship between the um, sup- the team that loses the Super Bowl and the hospital admissions for heart attacks in that hometown. Now, the other type of research design that you should be familiar with is, of course, experimental research. And just a quick review of experimental research. With experimental research, what we are doing is we are bringing people into a lab and we're testing A variable and so we have an independent variable and the independent variable is what we are going to manipulate or change and the dependent variable is the outcome or what we are trying to measure and so with this we'll have an experimental group and we'll also have a control group. Our experimental group will be the group that will receive the independent variable and the control group will be the group that we're going to test it against or essentially it would be our baseline group. And so, for example, maybe we're going to test whether or not students retain more information if they are in a classroom that has a bright color. And so what we would do is we would bring in our students and we would probably want to give them a test before they even get started just to kind of see where their knowledge is. So maybe we'll give them a quick memory test. We'll give them some words to memorize and we will... um, measure how well they remember those words and then we'll randomly assign individuals into our experimental group and into our control group and in our experimental group we would bring them into a classroom that had a bright vibrant color maybe an orange classroom And with our control group, we would take them into a classroom that has no color, and we would let them memorize the words, both in the experimental group and in the control group, and then we would test them. And so our experimental group would come back into that brightly colored room where we would administer a memory test. And then our control group would go back into that dull, non-painted, or white room, and we would administer the memory test there. And so our independent variable is the color of the classroom. Room, our dependent variable is how many words they remembered. And so then we can actually determine, through experimental research, a cause and effect relationship. If in fact we found that our experimental group remembered more words than our control group, we could infer that there, we could state that there is a um, support For the fact that a brightly colored room may help students retain more information and so that's an experimental design. We're going to talk about experimental designs throughout the semester, however there are some other types of research that we are going to um, focus on and obviously there are benefits to Experimental design, and there are benefits to correlational design. Really, it's going to determine what kind of information you're gathering, and obviously, some ethical considerations and how you gather that information. There are three types of research that are specific to human development because, again, we're studying studying this over a lifespan. And those three types of research are cross sectional, longitudinal, and cohort. Cross-sectional approach, it compares individuals at different ages and compared to one time. So individuals at a different time period are, or individuals at different ages are compared at one time. So an example of cross-sectional approach would be um, looking at um, people of different ages and how well they can adapt to new technology. So we may study um, individuals who are in their 70s, and then we may study individuals who are in their 40s. We may study individuals who are in their 20s, and we may study teenagers and how they can adapt to maybe the latest iPhone release or the latest technology. Um, We also may use cross-sectional approach to compare people at different ages and their attitudes on certain things. So we may look at um, people who are in their 80s and how what their attitude is about, um, you know, traveling to Mars. And we may compare that with individuals who are in their 20s and their attitudes on traveling to Mars. Then there's also longitudinal approach. Longitudinal approach, it is designed to track the same individuals over a long period of time. So a longitudinal study is going to take place over a long period of time. It's not uncommon for longitudinal research studies to take place over 20 or 30 years. So they're compiling research about how Things impact people over a time period. Um, a great example of longitudinal research is one of the first longitudinal studies of children who took Ritalin in the 80s was just released several years ago. And what this was was it was studying how these children who were diagnosed with ADHD in the 80s and were given Ritalin or a Ritalin like substance. And then studied over the long time period, how long did they stay on the drug? How did that impact their development as teenagers? How did it impact their development as 20-somethings? How did it impact their development as 30-year-olds? And now most of them are in their late 30s, early 40s. And so how has it impacted them or has it impacted them over a long period of time? They were looking at things like, you know, as adults, did it impact their job stability? As adults, were they able to um, change or outgrow a lot of those symptoms of ADHD that they presented early on as children? And so that's a longitudinal approach. They were studying these people for a long time period. Incidentally, one of the impacts that they found From this study, or one of the things that they found out of this longitudinal approach is that individuals who took Ritalin as children, the longer that they were on the drug, if they took Ritalin throughout their teenage years, they had an increased likelihood of having substance abuse issues as an adult, an 82% more likely to have a substance abuse issue as an adult. So that's some good information that we have gleaned from a longitudinal study. Now, obviously, longitudinal approaches have a lot of drawback. The main drawback is because you're studying individuals over a long period of time, it's oftentimes difficult to collect this data. People move. They change their contact information. They stop filling out information. And so oftentimes, that's difficult to um, gather the same sample for a long period of time. And then the last type is the cohort effect. Cohort effect, as we were talking about with Yuri Brofenbrenner, cohort effect is looking at how the um, person's time that they're born, their era or their generation is going to impact their development. So these are some developmental things um, that based on their generation. And it can impact their attitudes. It can impact things like their employment. But this is where we gleam data that, you know, the baby boomer generation, as they age, they uh, were more likely to stay at their employers for a long period of time versus the millennial generation, who is more likely to have multiple employers over the same time span. And so these are some of the research approaches that we'll be talking about throughout the semester.